Oglethorpe here with the Talent Development Mastery Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Michelle Bleiber, who is Senior Vice President of Time Warner, heading up Corporate HR and Global Organization and Leadership Development. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the call. Hello. Thank you for having me. Michelle, today we're going to talk about developing talent from cradle to throne. Um, But before we talk about doing that for others, perhaps we can hear a little bit about your own leadership journey, because um, you haven't always worked for Time Warner or even for the entertainment industry, have you? No, actually, until this role, my entire career has been with um, with the financial service um, organization. Now, I've had the, the good fortune of working for a number of the top banks and brokerage companies and investment firms prior to Time Warner. This is my first venture into entertainment. Wow. That, that sounds really different. <laughs> uh, investment firms and banks as opposed to the entertainment industry, are they very different? Or actually, since you're dealing with people, they're really quite similar? Actually, I find it remarkably similar, but not in the way I I thought it was. What I find is that when you work with the financial market, you don't know every day what the market's going to do. And a lot of how the market behaves is based on human nature and whether people are optimistic about the economy or not. And I find there's actually a lot of similarities in terms of the entertainment about whether people go to movies or whether people watch films. It's really um, it's really about human nature. And I find that both groups of employees are extremely intelligent and very passionate about what they do. So from my perspective, I was um, I was wondering what would be the similarities and what would the differences. But I find it extremely exciting to work with entertainment professionals in the same way I did with um, financial professionals. Although personally, it's a lot more fun and exciting for me to relate to the product and to be working with people that produce, you know, whether it was Harry Potter or Superman or coming up tomorrow is the final installation of The Hobbit. And so it's, um, it's exciting to be able to relate to the kind of professionals that I get to work with. Fabulous. And does the product or the service or the the nature of the industry um, have a lot of impact on the way you design talent programs? Only in that I think these two audiences I've had the privilege of working with are extremely demanding. When you work for people in financial um, fields, they make a lot of money. They're used to staying at the finest places. They're not easy to entertain, if I can use that word. And I find it's the same thing with the entertainment industry. They've got the highest standards themselves for how they produce entertainment for their clients. So not only do I pay a lot of attention to the content, but I pay a lot of attention to the media and to how we deliver things. So it's the bar is quite high when you're dealing with very intelligent, highly paid, very creative professionals. And so how do you engage them? Because that's one of the biggest challenges for um, professionals in our field is, you know, we're all passionate about talent development. We all get it. And we're all, you know, totally realize the benefits of it to the organization. But the people we're trying to help don't always seem to see that. And it can be quite hard to engage them and help them recognize that. 
Have you any tips or advice? Well, I, one way I've always approached it is, I think you said the magic word. You said sort of us and them. I think we need to close that gap. People want to learn. What they don't want to do is be put in a classroom. And I think what very smart people take exception to is sometimes what we do as professionals is we focus on, okay, let's get them in a classroom so they can learn. What I think I've tried to do over the years with my teams is make sure we involve the audience early in. Let's figure out what they want to learn. What do they already know? The worst thing, I think, is being put in a program. And I've made this mistake and learned this with what you already know. And then... um and then our job is to figure out how to make it as edutainment-focused as possible. How do we help the very best content, whether it's online, classroom, or it's highly experiential? But we know that they want to know something, so we have the same goal. So I think once we're really clear on what's the goal, what they want to learn, then our job is to figure out how to make that as fantastic a learning experience as possible. And have you noticed some differences in how people want to learn um, over the years? Yes. I, and it's not what I would have expected either. I think the main difference is shorter, faster, better. People want to learn in sound bites. Three-day programs for executives don't work. You know, certainly five-day programs don't work. But I think what we've learned, what we've learned as professionals is that ongoing learning is the most important, and so it can't be one shot either. So I think that the trick is how to engage people enough that they will come back for more. And a lot of times I think we're often afraid in learning and development that we will um, lose the audience, so we think let's, let's get them in a classroom or some kind of learning environment and do it all at once. And so I think the trick is figuring out how to engage people. My very favorite way to do this is to engage people where they either nominate themselves or get nominated and they're on an ongoing learning journey where they get engaged. There's a clear goal that they've bought into, and I think what you do first is really critical to make sure they want to come back for more. But we all know the best way to learn is to, um, you know, teach something, give people the opportunity to practice, give people the opportunity to reflect, and then teach them something else. So trying to do that formula where you can engage them over a, um, a period of time, whether that's nine months, 12 months, 18 months, I think there's many options in the timing of it all. But getting them engaged up front and then doing it in small sound bites where it's fun and they can early on see the benefit of what we're trying to do. And, and when you've done that, Michelle, um, have you done it in an iterative way so that they come on the first thing um, and at that point they only know that there's the first thing and it's after that that you um, present the next step in the journey or do you outline the whole journey at, at the beginning? No, I think they have to be bought in and know that they're on a learning journey. But if they don't like the learning journey, they'll step off it. So we're only okay. as good as we can hook people in at the beginning. And okay. I, I think the most powerful hook is they need to see something. They need to see a gap. They need to see something that they want to learn and believe that we can teach them. And often I think that gap is, 
usually well accomplished with some sort of 360 or some sort of instrument that shows them the gap of where they are today and where they want to be. Mm -hmm. And then I think if we can help them close that learning gap, whether it's a technical skill they need to learn or behavioral changes that might be helpful for them to make, that's where I think you get them um, coming back for more. Hmm. And I, I mean, I know you've, you've uh, done some fabulous programs in uh, Time Warner and also, you know, in the banks where you've worked and the other companies you've worked in. Um, can you bring this to life for us a little bit and talk us through um, one of the programs that you've implemented? Sure. Maybe I'll um, maybe I'll choose two different kinds. So, I mean, these aren't easy to start, and I can appreciate that you might hear about this and wonder, um, how do you get this going? And I've had two opportunities. I've had an opportunity where when I first joined one of the investment banks, there was a development board in place, and they wanted to develop high potentials. And to me, that's sort of when you get the gift from the gods. You've got the governance in place. You've got the budget in place. The harder thing is when you believe in this kind of learning, but it's not as easy to get the support from senior management. And that's where I say you need to look for opportunity. So the first story I'll share is when I first joined Time Warner, the head of diversity came to me and said, Michelle, every year I have a multicultural council meeting. I bring together the business people that are responsible for diverse business initiatives. So we're talking about making sure diversity um, exists in all of our programming. And she said, and it's a great meeting every year, but nothing happens between each meeting. And she said, do you have any ideas? She did not ask me for a leadership or management program. She did not ask me for a high potential program. But what I saw was an opportunity that she wants to do something that would connect people from one place to another. And I recommended that what we might want to do is ask the business to nominate some of the high potential employees that are working on these kind of diverse business initiatives that would benefit from learning what other parts of the business are doing. And no matter what industry or business you're in, chances are there's something people can learn for others. And in the current business, this is people from HBO, learning from people at Warner Brothers, learning from people at Turner. And so we actually um, were able to make it a business focus. And I think when we have these opportunities, is where we can be most successful because business people have something to learn. The leadership, the neon lights does not say leadership program. It said an opportunity to work with colleagues and learn. And in this case, what we did is we brought people together. We had 30 vice presidents that spent five months together where they were given a business challenge and they were given the support in terms of a vendor that we hired that worked with them. And at the end of five months, they were able to make recommendations to an innovation business board and share the ideas that they had on what Time Warner could do to be even more successful in some of these areas. And what we did along the way was offer them the skills and the tools to learn how to come up with new business ideas. And this, to me, was a unique opportunity where you don't have a new package in front of you, but where we can introduce some of the methodology that we all know of action learning or experiential learning or whatever we can call it. To me, this was a form of action learning. And people loved it. They became great friends with each other. They exchanged ideas. They helped each other be more successful in their jobs today. 
and they learn new skills along the way. So, wow. um, the other example is a more traditional path, I think, of where you actually want to do a high potential leadership training program. And we had people from the businesses nominate people, and that was actually a two-year learning journey. And that's one of the programs in my career I'm actually proudest of, because it, it's one of my legacies that still exists beyond the time I'm with the company. Thirteen years from the day we started it, it's still considered a competitive advantage for the company and a great way to develop. And so I think you can do it no matter where, no matter what starting point you're at. I think if we believe in longitudinal action learning initiatives where people can do real work while being developed, there's a number of future places you can get started from. So that's really about, you know, turning the um the business into the classroom, if you like, so that people are, are learning and developing while addressing business challenges. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can overlay whatever skill it is they need to learn, whether it's, you know, innovation skills, project management skills, leadership skills, um, any number of things. And so I personally think it's one of the ways that people like to learn best. Now, I don't necessarily think it's the easiest way to learn. I actually think it's one of the more difficult. There's a lot of unknowns. It's a lot of planning and work on our part make sure you've got the right kind of engagement, the right the project has to be successful, but it's to work as well as the learning work. But my experience over these years is that it's the stickiest kind of work where people get real business done while learning. And maybe most importantly, the two elements of it that I find that people care the most about is the contact they get with senior leaders, senior management as well as the peer relationships that they form. Mm. That was going to be my next question. You know, in actually um, delivering uh, the, the the tools or the, the skills to help them address the challenges, how much of that was done um, with outside providers and how much was done through internal faculty or, or you know, in-house senior managers? You know, I always think there's a continuum we need to be prepared in our field to work with. I always say, let's not let a little thing like budget stand in the way of having a great learning experience. When you have the budget, I think it's fantastic to be able to hire experts in action learning to help guide the professionals and give them a lot of coaching throughout. When you don't have the benefit of budget, then I think you can do this all internally. And it's a matter of finding the right people internally that have the skills and giving them enough bite-sized pieces, too, because I think the bite-sized learning has to go two ways. For the participant to be able to be achievable while they're doing their regular work, and if you want to use um, internal instructors, we have to be able to structure the role in such a way that it's not a burden for them either. So I think you yeah. can do each way, and I've done both. Um. One of the other things that you, you mentioned there when you talked about these talent programs, uh, you mentioned, um, you know, for high potential leaders or, you know, the 30 vice presidents. Um, there's always quite a lot of debate around, you know, when we focus on talent and when we focus on high potentials, you know, isn't that demotivating for everybody else and isn't everybody talent really? 
Um, what are your thoughts on that, Michelle? I used to be quite worried about that as well. And I've been through programs where the company has sometimes spent a year debating that before they select people. I now, and this may sound a little cheeky, but I now feel like, don't worry, I tell companies. If you don't want to identify your high potential, your competitors will. Everybody knows who the high potentials are inside a company. And you know you get it right or wrong when you select your first class. And so we have a choice. Do we... I don't, I don't, I don't think investment should only be for the high potential. I say only invest in the top employees you want to keep. And so we have a responsibility to our boards. We have a responsibility to our shareholders to have the next generation of leaders prepared to take on those roles. And those are often the same group of employees we're talking about when we talk about and worry about should we be over investing in high potential? We should be. We should be investing in the next generation of leaders. What we know across the board in any industry is that we are not able to develop leaders quickly enough to take on that next role. That's one of our biggest concerns in society and learning education today. And so I think, if anything, we should be over-investing in our high-potential talent. Now, it doesn't mean you have to make everyone else feel left out. It doesn't mean that there aren't lots of opportunities to develop all employees. But I think there should be an over-investment in your next generation of leaders if you want to ensure your success as an organization. And, and I find it almost more interesting to ask companies, why would you not over-invest to prepare your mm. next generation of leaders? Well, and I guess one of the responses might be, well, how do we know that we're going to get a return on our investment? Um, yeah, the whole... The whole wonderful you know, debate around how we measure success and prove return on investment of of these kind of initiatives. Do do you have um, steps you take or criteria you use to make that case? That's a wonderful question. I always wonder why are we asked that question? How many people ask the marketing department if you're going to invest in your next campaign? What's going to be our return on investment? If we're going to buy a next system, what's going to be our return investment? This should be part of the way we do business. And I think the more that learning and development has the confidence to run their departments like a business, mm-hmm. I, I, I put the burden back and say, how can you not invest in your next generation of leaders? If you're already very confident that your business is extremely well run and you are getting the best return on investment, I mean the best return on capital, then you probably don't need any learning and development. Question. Instead of putting the burden on HR to show the return on investment and investing in people, all we have to do is look at the numbers. And if the presidents of our companies tell us, nope, we don't need anything else, thank you, our people are the very best and we're confident we have that the next generation of leaders ready to step in those jobs, then our work is done. Mm. I wish I was confident that most time we'd get that that answer but i think because people see a gap it's a wonderful opportunity for us to contribute as much as any other business function contributes to the success of an organization mm-hmm. and actually the organizations you've worked for and i've worked for where it's about um you know knowledge and services you know 
if you don't have your people, you don't have anything. It's not like you have a product that um, you know will will get turned out by a factory. Um, you you need you need the, those brains and those those that creativity and that innovation or that fabulous financial expertise. Absolutely, I, I think we are way underinvested in the amount that we should, and I think a lot of it goes to our own confidence of being able to um, make that argument to business. You know, and really, why is that? Why why are we not confident? Why are we not as confident as our um, colleagues in IT or marketing or production or anywhere else saying that? And somehow people look at this as a soft skill. But as you said, if you don't have the right people in the right place with the right skills, then you don't have anything. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, that, that's been absolutely um, brilliant in terms of, you know, loads of great ideas. Um, you and I have had, you know, decades <laughs> in, in this field, and I'm conscious that not everybody will have had those years of experience. I'm wondering if you had just kind of one key message for people listening to this, you know, one thing that they you feel they should take away and focus on. What might that be? Stay close to the business. We are too far away. I've just inherited a new area of responsibility, and they have a series of professional development classes. And I've asked them, how did you come up with these? I, 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 I wonder, did somebody in HR look at a dart board and, and select a dart and say, okay, let's, let's focus on this? I mean, we, we have business partners that are very smart who know what they need to learn. And somehow we feel in HR like we're very separate from the business and it's hard to get close. And I don't think it's as difficult as we make it out to be. Stay close to the business. Ask to attend staff meetings. Mm-hmm. Ask if you can do a quick survey. There's free survey tools online to give to a group of employees asking, what are the one or two skills that would make them more successful in their jobs today? I think mm-hmm. there's ways that we can get closer and find out from the business what they need. And we shouldn't be afraid to ask them, would you be willing to help? Would you be willing to teach a class? That's fabulous. Uh, that's, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, I think actually if, uh, if, if we could develop any skills that would be helpful to us, there's a lot that we could learn from sales and marketing professionals about how we deal with our own internal customers. Um, and I think you just summed it up there in terms of actually you know, understanding what they need and yeah, designing with them the solution that's going to address that need. Michelle, thank you so much, and thank you to everyone listening to this interview. If it has triggered any questions or comments that you'd like to share, then please email me at Antoinette at AntoinetteOglethorpe.com or post a comment on my blog, um, and if necessary, I can uh, get in touch with Michelle and get her uh, responses to any questions you might have for her. Um, but other than that, I'll say bye for now. Thanks a lot.